Welcome to the Funny Because It's True podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. The show is recorded live every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show to tell a true story based on different themes, and this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. The theme of this episode is crime. Three stories of pederasty, robbery, and sororicide. Jessica Svensgaard discovers startling evidence as to what she is actually capable of. Jamie Moyer finds herself at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I get a call from the police that makes me incredibly insecure. Let's not dawdle. First up, Jessica Svensgaard. I've talked about this on the Funny Because It's True stage before. Uh, I am adopted. Um... And it was, I always tell people, like, it's not like I never lived in a cupboard under the stairs. What happened was um, my biological mom, who's from Australia, was living in the Burbank area when she got pregnant with me. And um, she, she was super poor at the time. I say living in the Burbank area. She was living out of her car. Um, and so uh, she somehow got in contact with my parents in the Bay Area. And they'd adopted my sister from a different lady. And they were like, it's worked out pretty good. So let's get another one. <laughs> um, and so uh, it was very open adoption. Like they brought her up to the Bay Area and put her up in Lafayette um, while she was pregnant with me. And then she had me. Um, and she actually stuck around for a while afterwards, just like hanging out with my family. And of course, waiting for the papers to go through for me to be like officially, legally California binding my parents, or, um, my parents' daughter. Um, and it's not a thing. Like people always ask me a bunch of questions, but mostly it's just like I have my parents, and then I happen to have this other lady who gave birth to me. Um, and my parents were always very, very honest with my sister and I about like how that came to be. Um, and it was it was never any like point of contention in my family. Um, the only thing being is that my mom always felt a little insecure with the fact that I had a relationship with Tracy, who's my biological mother. Um, my biological father wasn't in the picture, and my dad's not like the jealous type anyway. But my mom has this weird kind of jealousy <laughs> over my biological mom. Like when Facebook came about, and I got a Facebook, and I, I became Facebook friends with my biological my mo- mother. My mom was like, You guys talk when I'm not around? And I was like, Yeah, we just chat because usually before Facebook, Tracy would have to make a call from Australia because she moved back there. And so she'd have to call, and my parents would pick up and accept the charges, and then I'd only talk between when Tracy and my mom talk because Tracy and my mom are close Um, but my mom got really weird about it Um, and it's strange because I think she thought that like if 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 something ever went bad I'd be like screw you guys I'm gonna go live with that other lady in Australia because she has a cool accent or something (laughs) Um, but there's there's none of that my parents are my parents and that's it Um, but there was also does anybody remember the UPN original show, Sister, Sister? Yeah? It's a story about um, two twin sisters who uh, their parents have them when they're young, and then um, they split them up because the parents get a divorce, and so they decide the best course of action is to split up twin sisters and raise them individually. Um, and then they meet again when they're like 15, and then they move back in together. Um, and as a kid, I would have elaborate fantasies about me being a twin, me being born a twin, um, because, because that was just a thing. And I would fantasize about how I was a twin and my parents only kept one of me because they could only afford one. And so they kept me and somebody else adopted my twin. Um, 
but I would never bring this up around my mom because I, I wanted to ask so bad, um, but I never brought it up because it was like, oh, if my mom thinks I'm getting too curious about my background, she's going to freak out and cry um, because she's going to think I just don't love her anymore. Um, <laughs> and, and my dad would be like, cool, whatever. Um, but uh, about, what was this, two years ago, um, my biological mother had saved up a bunch of money, and she really wanted to make a trip out to the States to see me. She hadn't seen me in a very, very long time. Um, and she just wanted to check in. And my parents were, they were like, of course, you can come out and, um, and stay with us. And she also wanted to see some other friends from, like, the California area she'd made. And so uh, my biological mom came out to visit one summer. And we were going to spend a lot of time together. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I can kind of ask her some of the questions I've had that I didn't really want to bring up to my parents because, because of my mom and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be awesome. So she comes to the United States. It's the first time I've seen her. Um, she visited once when I was eight. So it's the first time I've seen her in 11 years. Um, and it's really exciting. She gets in. And the next day, the first thing I do is I want to show her around my hometown. Um, and I take her to lunch at Chipotle because she's flown all the way from Australia and I'm going to treat her to the best. Um, <laughs> and so we're at Chipotle and we're catching up over like a really long period of time. She's telling me all about um, my half-brother who lives in Australia. And I'm kind of like itching to get this question out. Um, ask her about, you know, like, what, was I a secret twin? Like maybe ask her some questions about like my biological dad, stuff like that. Um, and I was really, I was like overjoyed. We're eating Chipotle together outside. It's a beautiful day. And it, it just comes up organically. I forget what we were talking about, but I said something, something twin related. Um, it wasn't the straight up question, but I was like dropping the word in conversation. And she goes, oh my gosh, did I never tell you that you were a twin? And I'm like, what the fuck in my mind? This is how easy it's going to be to find out, like, this is real? It's like my dream has come true? I can't believe it. Like, all those times that I was feeling, like, strange pain, my twin must have been in trouble. Um, <laughs> and, like, I look at her, like, across, I remember because I had burrito in my mouth, and I was like, whoa. Um, and she was like, yeah, you were a twin. And I was like, wait, are you serious right now? And she was like, yeah, your twin died in the womb. <laughs> and I was like, wait, are you, are you serious? And she was like, yeah, I, I got pregnant, and then I miscarried your twin. And when it came out, it had all these bite marks, and the doctor said that you'd probably killed it. <laughs> that the one <laughs> at the time, before that, she thought she'd only had one, but after she miscarried the first one, the doctor did another sonogram, is it? And he was like, no, there's still one in there. She probably, he or she probably got jealous and killed the other one to eliminate it. Um, and uh, that's how I found out that I was a twin at one point, that I am instinctually a murderer, and that my mom was right to keep some things from me. Next up, Jamie Moyer. I had an apartment in a little hamlet enclave in Detroit, Michigan called Hamtramck. Hamtramck is a mile by a mile long city smack dab in the middle of Detroit. And I was born and raised in Detroit proper and, and I love Detroit and I loved Hamtramck and I, I lived there for a long time and I always went to the same gas station and one night uh, I had a beautiful two bedroom apartment and my roommate ended up moving out 
And it was the, the first Christmas that she wasn't there. So we kept trying to plan. When can you come over? When can we do the tree? You know, you don't live anymore. We still want to do the, have our tradition, right? So she comes over and we start doing the tree. And, uh, uh, you know, we're smoking and we're drinking pop or soda, as some of you may call it. And, uh, and, and we're just having a good time. And it's like, let's go get some more pop at the store and get some snacks. And it's like 1 a.m., so I'm like, yay! So we drive to the gas station, and uh, and I run in to get the stuff. So I'm in the gas station, and there's like two guys in line, and the guy behind the counter is behind all this glass, and and so I see this guy in front of me, and I or I I get in line, and a guy gets in line behind me, and I like start talking to him because I'm just that kind of person. I'm like, yeah, blah blah, whatever, you know, like it's so cold outside or whatever, <laughs> and uh. <laughs> And so we get up to the counter, and I get, get the cigarettes. So we're buying cigarettes and, and Coca-Cola. So I get the cigarettes and everything. And then I get my change. And as soon as the money comes in the thing, the guy behind me, he puts a knife to my throat from behind, inside of the gas station. This is the part of it that's just terrible. Because you feel very safe inside of the gas station. And so he goes, he puts his knife in the throat and he, give me the money. So I give him the money. And then he goes to grab my purse. He like, he like hooks his finger like on, on this, you know, the handle of my purse. And Oscar winning moment, I just look at him and I go, please don't take my purse. And he doesn't. He lets it go. He, he's very nervous. He was very nervous. He was very jittery. And, you know, I'm sure, I, I don't know. He didn't look, you know, he wasn't a suave robber. That's a different story. So, so, uh, so, so then he starts robbing this other guy in the gas station. Keep in mind, who's the safe guy? The guy behind all the glass. He's just kind of going, oh boy, these people are really getting jacked up in my gas station. Uh, so then he goes to rob the other guy. I look out the window and, and I see my roommate, Sherry, and she has now opened the door to my car and she's going, like, what's up? And I'm looking at her through the window. I'm trying to, like, talk to her with my eyes, which doesn't work. <laughs> sure, you've all tried this. I'm going, she's going, what's the So I go, get back in the car. Get back in the car. Get back in the car. And she goes, like, it's an attitude. <laughs> she's like, I'm being bitchy and bossy. She's whatever. Like, she's just, you know. I don't know what she thought, but she literally like rolls her eyes and he gets back in the car. So this part is not funny at all. Uh, the guy in the gas station that he's now trying to rob won't give him the money. They're fighting. They're having a little argument because money is hard to come by and it's right before Christmas. So he takes the knife and cuts the guy like in the face and then runs out the door. And so I'm just, oh, my God, you know, and, and the, guy, the guy that he cut isn't, like, falling down. It's like, you know, he's bleeding, though. Like, his hand's here, and you see the blood, and I'm going, oh, my God, oh, my God. So, so you know, I, I go running out to the car, and I jump in the car, and I'm like, I just got robbed, I just got robbed, I just got robbed. Sherry starts crying. I'm like, calm down, <laughs> relax, you know, and, and, and I'm, I would not call myself someone who's overly courageous. It depends on the situation, but sometimes in situations like this, I'm kind of calm. And so I'm like, calm down, whatever. And I just start to assess the situation. I'm like, okay, the ambulance, now the ambulance is there, the cops are there. Nobody's talking to me. I'm sitting in the car, the cops are talking to the guy in the gas station. The ambulance is helping the guy who got cut. And I go to Sherry, let's go. 
And she's like, what? You got to make a statement. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm pissed off. I'm like, that guy probably lives right next door to me. Like, I'm out of here. So I drive home. And, and uh, you know, I feel like they have the tape. They'll find the guy if they find the guy. So then I start avoiding that gas station. Well, after a few months, I'm like, I got to go to that. That's my gas station. So I, I go back. You know, I'm like, the other gas station in Hamtramck, much worse. Like, you, you don't want to go to that gas station. So I'm like, what are the chances of the lightning striking twice? So I start going back to my gas station. And, uh, and, and the first time I walk in, the guy, the guy behind the counter, not even the same guy, hey, you're the girl who got robbed. I'm like, yeah, that was me. That was me. So they've all seen the tape. Uh, I, I just start going back there. And then a few months later, they go, hey, we caught the guy. I'm like, oh, my God, awesome. Again, no talk of me being in any trouble. I'm not worried about it. One night I pull in the gas station. This is months later, months later. And keep in mind, Hamtramck, mile by a mile, you know, probably like seven cops, uh, seven cop cars, 14 cops, right? So there's cops at the gas station. I pull in there. It's like 2 in the morning. I'm like, yeah, there are cops here. I'm fine, you know, because I tried to avoid going there late at night. I go in the gas station. The guy behind the counter, we, I have rapport with all the guys. I'm like, hey, what's up? I go, I'm not worried tonight. Ha, ha, ha. And the cop goes, hey, you were the girl that got robbed. You left the scene of the crime. He's behind the counter. He's behind the counter with the guy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you, uh, you didn't make a statement. You know, that's really, that's not the way to do it. Whatever. He gets kind of shitty with me. And I go, oh, but I heard you caught the guy. And the other cop behind the counter goes, I caught the guy. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And, like, I left. And and, uh, that's one of the stories of the times I was robbed. And finally, me, Kevin McGeehan. As a forward to my story tonight, The subject I'm going to talk about, I find deplorable. Absolutely the worst thing that a human being can do to another human being. But it is amazing where your mind goes sometimes instinctually. Now, I was born with and have sustained throughout my life red hair. (laughs) Red hair as an adult is awesome because it makes you different. Red hair as a child sucks because it makes you different. Uh, The first time I was ever made fun of for having red hair, I was walking along a country road at 10 years old. I grew up in a rural part of Florida. And these two guys in a pickup truck drove by. One of them rolled down the window, stuck his head out, and yelled, Red on the head like a dick on a dog. to let me know that my hair is the same color as a dog's erect penis. (laughs) There was another guy in my grade who also had red hair, and he's going to play another part of this in my second story, but his name was Jason Gattuso, and he, he and I were the only ones who had red hair in our grade. One day, he made a John Hughesian type play for this girl. He decided that he was going to tell this girl right before bus that... I like you, and I want to be with you. He tells her, and this really brave moment blows up in his face uh, because she does not want him, and then she immediately gets on the bus, and everyone who witnessed it started giving her so much shit about it, just incessant, and they would not stop to the point where she had to go to shush them up. Come on, guys. He's got red hair. And then turned to me, who was one seat away, and said, no offense. Uh 
So red hair was kind of something that would preclude me from certain female situations. Jumping back, when I was 11, 12, and 13, every summer I would work as an intern at a children's museum in Jacksonville, Florida. It was one of those, uh, it was a latchkey kid job. My mother worked, so I had to have something to do during the day. So I worked in the gift shop as an 11-year-old, and they trusted me with money. (laughs) Throughout the day, uh, it was a cool museum. It had a, a mouth you could walk into. And it had a puppet show every half hour. Um, and a bunch of us worked there. There were probably about 10 of us who would do that around the same age. And th- those types of kids can't be trusted to have any sort of focus. So there's a lot of goofing off that went on. And all of us would congregate around the information booth. And the guy who worked in the information booth was, uh, let's call him Dan. And Dan was cool. In my eyes, he was the oldest man I'd ever encountered, but he was maybe 22 but he was so neat, and at the time, he knew all the words to the Ghostbusters song, even the, even the more obscure ones, um, not the ones in the first half or the second half where you don't really listen anymore. <laughs> and he would make jokes to us that were for adults more than they were for kids. One girl said she was going to Miami for the weekend, and his joke was, hey, pick me up a key which was pick me up a kilo of cocaine <laughs> while you were there. So he would make little drug jokes to us, and uh, he was just cool, and he treated us very nicely. He <laughs> was a great influence. Um, and we would all congregate around and talk to him, and it was a fun time. And then um, on a quick side note, there was a girl that I really liked there, and I, I just she was beautiful, and um, I don't remember anything about her. She could be living or dead. I have absolutely no idea. But at the time, <laughs> she was beautiful. And uh, I could never got the courage to talk to her, but it was always fun to kind of be around her when we were all congregating around the information booth and Dan. So, a few years later, I get a call. I'm about 17 years old at this point. I'm still having trouble with girls. I've kissed one girl at this point in my life, and she broke up with me a few days later, which will be in the next story. <laughs> but... Um, Things aren't going well with girls, and um, yeah, it's just kind of my insecurities are just running rampant. Then I get a phone call from a police officer who says, when you worked at this children's museum many years ago, did Dan ever molest you? No. Okay, why do you ask? (laughs) He is brought up on charges of molesting children from that time period and people from that museum that you worked at from 11, 12, and 13. And I said, no. And he said, thank you very much for your help. And then I hung up the phone. And in those dark times, those times where your mind just goes to those other places that you aren't necessarily proud of, the first thought I had was, what was wrong with me? So not only girls don't like me, but child molesters don't like me either. And that was as insecure as I've ever been. That's it. That's our show. Special thanks to our storytellers, Jessica Svensgaard and Jamie Moyer. Also thanks to Josh Callahan, Jason McNichols, Mark Warzeka, The Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. You can like Funny Cause It's True on Facebook, 
to find out upcoming show dates and themes. All the past episodes are available for free download on the Comedy Podcast Network and iTunes. While on iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a comment about the show. More comments help the show grow to a broader audience on iTunes. Plus, it appeases my staunch desire for approval and acceptance. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Because It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood, located on historic and freaky deaky Hollywood Boulevard. So come out, put your name in contention, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. My name is Kevin McGeehan. Thanks for listening. Receive this transmission from the Comedy Podcast Network. For more shows, visit comedypodcastnetwork.com.